Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy here in Rochester, New York. And we are blessed and honored to have Kathleen Chavetta join us today. And we're going to be talking about family dynamics and family business and how do we keep a 60-year-old family business running and doing the things that, that they're doing. So, Kathleen, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We're, I'm excited to have you here as well. Um, we have a tradition. We ask people to kind of give us the, how did you end up in the family business story? Because what we have found is every story is a little different. Um, did, you know, so were you somebody that dove right in? We're always in the family business or tell us your story. That'd be great. No, 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 of course not. So sure. Uh, like a lot of family businesses, I think I first started to help my dad out. Um, the business is on my father's side of the family. I think I was eight, you know, and the, I went and helped cater a picnic and, you know, had, you had to wrap the apron strings around me a couple of times kind of thing. Um, and I helped, you know, growing up and it was my job through high school um, and a little bit beyond. And then like is not, you know, very uncommon among family businesses. I had to go do my own thing for a little while. And my own thing was just a series of menial sort of not very satisfying jobs. And then I decided to, um, you know, stay home and devote myself to taking care of my children full time. And one day my dad came over and he said, you know, we have this weekend long event we're really busy and we're really shorthanded. And do you think you can just come help out? It'll just be for a couple of days. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history. So I, I, that was about 20 years ago now. I helped for a couple of days and then the couple of days turned into weeks and months and now 20, 20 years later, here we are. Good for you. So yeah. it, it just started off just being part of the, the, the labor force and, you know, yeah, no, I, and, and doing things to, you know, what was your journey inside the company? Um, um, talk about, you know, starting from the bottom. I was just telling someone yesterday the story about how when I first came back, and that would have been in my early to maybe mid 20s, um, I picked up every shift there was. I mean, I did, I catered picnics, I washed so many dishes that my hands started to crack and my grandmother felt so sorry for me that one day she came into the dish room and presented me with this special hand lotion that she thought was really going to help me. <laughs> um, and so I, I did that and I had a, my, I'm the oldest of five. So my second oldest sister had been working in the office at that time and she was going to be graduating from college and moving on with her life. 
So I stepped into that role. Um, and at that time, I was really just more support for my father. And then we sort of had this um, kind of parallel journey. You know, dad was, um, you know, getting a little older, um, although he still very much um, gets up and likes coming to work. So as he was starting to kind of get older and want to focus on different things and buy himself a tractor so that he could ride around his property in it, um, little by little, he would start giving over responsibilities. Um, and then, the, you know, a sort of similar thing is happening behind me <laughs> with, with my children. So okay. really are very similar journeys. What is, how about a little bit of, you know, share the history. How did the business start? Who started it? What were the family, sure. you know, how were the, how did the, just like kind of like a mini journey of the transitions of family? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I love to tell this story. So I'll try to keep it the mini version of the journey. So my grandparents, uh, my grandfather in particular um, had a poultry farm. Really, he just started out just selling eggs. And then, um you know, housewives would come to him with the chickens they had just slaughtered and said, what do I do with this? Can you, can you help me with this? And that kind of turned into poultry. And so eventually it became a poultry farm. And back in the early to middle 1950s, Cornell University um, had a professor there by the name of Dr. James Baker. And uh, Dr. Baker's job was to try to find ways for poultry farmers to sell more poultry. Um, you know, it was through um, an agricultural co-op. They were trying to help farmers. So uh, Dr. Baker came up with this method that if you are from somewhere in New York State, particularly in the, in the more Western New York or upstate regions, you know some version of Dr. Baker's barbecue. It's the vinegar-based marinade, that vinegar-based sauce. It's cooked over charcoal, you know, on those grates. And so my grandparents went to a co-op meeting, um, I think at the East Aurora Home and Farm Bureau. And they learned about this and they were like, well, this is cool. Let's go home and try this. So they screwed around, um, you know, a little bit and um, changed the recipe a little bit from Dr. Baker's original recipe. And I'll, I think you will find many families across New York did the same thing, put their own little twist on it. Um, we did the same and we started just cooking for local fire departments. You know, we were very in involved in the small town local community. And so we started cooking for fire departments and then more fire departments. And then there were churches and then there were schools and then people wanted a wedding catered. Um, and again, that was 1954 is about the year we started doing what we're doing now. Um, and now, and, and now here we are, we get about, you know, a half a million people a year. Wow. That's awesome. When your grandparents started this, your grandfather, how many children did he have? How many children were in the business, you know, after he started it? Sure. So um, my grandparents, five must be the lucky number. My, my father was one of five. My mother is one of five. I'm one of five. That must be the key. Write it down. Key okay. to success. Have there five children. <laughs> if you have five children, odds are you'll end up with at least one who's going to stick around. That's right. That's, right. That's right. That's right. So um, my grandparents had five children. My father is the youngest. Um, his oldest brother, Tom, um, worked in the business for quite a number of years. And my father and his um, next oldest brother, Paul, worked together for very, very many years. They had a great partnership. 
Uh, my uncle Paul unfortunately um, passed away a number of years ago, and that just left my father. Um, but his two sisters, you know, went off and and kind of lived lived their own life. Um, so you know, here we are at this point. My uncle Tom is long since retired. Um, so it's it's my dad. When you when that transition happened, do you know the story of how that transition worked? Was it you know, there's always that juggle of I have one child that's continuing the business or there's a couple kids in the business. How did your grandparents choose to deal with that? You know, the business is an asset. How do I do that stuff? Sure. Well, I mean, it's challenging, isn't it? And I think that's that's why you have a whole podcast, <laughs> because family businesses have some really, um, you know, it's almost cliche to say unique challenges, but but it's the truth. Um, and I, I think in our family, we have been pretty fortunate through, you know, we're into the fourth generation now. Um, the, you know, the children who have wanted to remain in the business have, have pretty well self-selected. You know, there's always been at least one or two children who want to remain in the business. You know, the, the parents have the confidence that, okay, these one or two children who want to stay in the business are, are going to do okay. Um, so, so we have been fortunate there. That doesn't mean to say that those transitions have been, have been easy um, and that everything goes smoothly and swimmingly. I think that we all know that's not how it works, but we have been fortunate um, that capable people want to remain and be involved and, and grow the business. Okay, great. And so now, you know, who's in the business today in the family? How many family members are involved? Sure. So we're, we're starting to, we are starting to dwindle <laughs> a little bit. Um, but so we have um, myself, so I'm the third generation. My oldest daughter is the fourth generation. Um, as I said with my father, he, he still likes to, uh, you know, get up and come around. He's still very active. He'd be very mad if I didn't tell everyone that. He's very active still in the business. Um, my uh, brother um, is uh, works for the business part-time. He also has his own other ventures on the side. I have a cousin in the business and then I have a cousin-in-law. My cousin's husband um, works for us. And that I think is most of the, the family unit there. Gotcha, that's awesome. Good for you. I I was the only one when my father, you know, that, that got into the working with family businesses. That's what we do. Um, and it just kind of, you know, our journey was a little strange in how that happened. But dad just had businesses, realized they were all family owned. Then when I got in to do the same work, um, it was, you know, the dynamics between my father and I I was like, I need to talk to some people about this. So I got involved in Syracuse, had the family business group out there through the chamber. And, um, but so I was the only one that ended up. So just like you said, it was kind of natural selection in terms of, you know, sure. what did it. I'm um, happy to say that, you know, I have two payments left to my father um, and uh, we'll uh, have bought, bought him out of those, those businesses. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, sure. When, when you're going through and doing, how do you separate, you know, family and business and management? And, you know, the, there's the, the, the three circle model is, uh, you know, talked about in the family business world, um, ownership, 
you know, versus family versus management. Um, how do you guys, you know, what's the, what's the formula that has worked for you? Oh, I don't know. I thought you were going to tell me. I thought that was the, the free gift I got in exchange for showing up. No, no, it's um, in all seriousness. It, this is maybe the hardest part. Um, it really is because you are with people that you know intimately al almost all day, every day. When you're at home, you talk about work. When you're at work, you talk about home. Um, and this has really been a challenge for us to be able to separate ourselves. And in fact, you know, my brother and I just had um, a, a really great conversation about the importance of not tying your own value, your own worth to the success of the business. So there, there's a couple of things that we try to do. And my middle daughter, her name is Grace, and she is the enforcer of guys, it's Thanksgiving, it's Sunday dinner you know, we're here to watch the Bills game, whatever the occasion is. So she was so good at enforcing it that now we don't even try to, to pull it on her. Or, you know, if we'll start, she'll say, you have one more minute to talk about this and then you're done. So we have gotten much better um, at trying not to talk about business at family functions. Um, we do much better when Grace is present. We're not as good when she's not around because she's, you know, she's our enforcer. Um, or save grace. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I'm going to let her know you said that. Um, so I have found personally, I really have, have had to try to put down some, I'd like to say hard boundaries, but you know, when it's your business, there's no such thing as truly off the clock or truly not your problem. Um, right. So you know, one of the things I've struggled with is when do I put an end to my workday? And especially now I work from home more than I ever have. It's very easy to continue working when you're at home. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I don't check email until I'm ready to be on the clock. Um, I try not to check sales. You know, if we have one of our pop-up barbecues out in the field, I try not to hit refresh if it's not during my work day. Um, and so I think, you know, recognizing as a family, that we need that breakaway, that we need to exist as people who are independent of the business has been helpful. And then also trying to model what I want to see and the rest of the family um, so that I can have those, those times where, you know, I just have to be off the clock for the rest of the night. I have other things that I have to pay attention to. It really is, is challenging and it takes a lot of discipline. Okay. You mentioned something about talk boundaries. And, and I think that's such a great word. I have a, um, we did uh, a book club that are for the family business book club. And we had Melissa Mitchell Blitch on who wrote a book called In the Company of Family, How to Thrive When Business is Personal. And it's all about bound, boundaries. So there's one free gift for you. I'll try great. to talk I wrote it down. for you. And I'll send you a link to her book, but she was wonderful. Um, and really just... Uh, you know, she joined, she was great, grace, gracious enough to join us for the book club and just some great insights and talking about boundaries differently. And, you know, the one thing that I'll share with you that I think is, would be helpful for everybody is she talked about boundaries as a gate and the gate being, we want to let the good stuff in and keep the bad stuff out. And that was really helpful when you start to think about those things as, as we're doing 
these pieces and it's just nice conversation for the family. So that'd be a book that I think you'll find interesting. Um, when, when we're dealing with some families and if I ask a question that you say, you know, that, that we're not going down that road, please, you know, that's a-okay. Um, some family businesses that I've, you know, worked with, um, have non family members that have ownership of the business, but no longer work there. Is that ever happened through the years in Sure. Uh, my father has a minority business partner who coincidentally just retired. I want to say maybe in May after 55 years, some odd years with the company. Um, my father used to like to say that his father, Phil is the, his business partner's name. Phil's father dropped him off when he was 16 and forgot to come back and pick him up. Um, Phil ended up marrying my father's um, cousin. So he's, you know, fa family adjacent, wasn't born into the family. Um, but when you marry uh, a cousin and then you put 55 years in, you, you have attained, you know, a, a certain level of, of uh, family, you know, family status, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. So Phil is a minority owner, minority owner um, and has begun a very well-deserved uh, retirement in May. But for all intents and purposes, though he holds on to the ownership, has really stepped completely away um, from any any of the day-to-day. -day. He's he's very at peace. <laughs> good, good. It's, you know, it, those are the kinds of things that, you know, it's like, it gets to a certain point and, and your family's probably getting really close to this, where it's at that third to fourth generation there's enough, you know, it's you know, the, the business is an asset. And if we have, you know, different family entities owning that, it's like, okay, how do I, how do I juggle this? And how do I, and how do I put that together? Because for many of us, the business does become the largest asset um, that we have. And as we're, as we're juggling that value in terms of fair and equal, Right, you know, those are the terms that we that we throw around. It gets difficult, so um, you know that's where you know having some governance and how do we make decisions as the ownership group? How do we make decisions as the you know the family group starts to make sense? And that's I just think it's I think it takes practice. One of the things that I've that I've come to realize. Is that like you said, you know, you thought you were coming here and I'm going to give you all the answers to figure it all out. And, and, and that's, that's really fair because I think, I think that's what a lot of people are hoping for is just sp sprinkle the magic fairy dust, make this all, you know, work. But at the end of the day, it's no different than um, our physical fitness and our mental fitness. If we want to keep our mental fitness, we might need to, you know, um, you know, do some mental exercise. We need to stay positive. We need to, might need to talk to a therapist every once in a while to unload some things. If we want our physical fitness, we need to go to the gym. We need to have a, a trainer or whatever it is. And I think when it comes to family business and family dynamics, it's, it's the same thing. It's getting in front of it a little bit and having some practice about how do we communicate? How do we talk? How do we make these decisions together? You are 100% right. And there is such a need 
um, for education and family businesses. And if I could give one piece of advice to family businesses, I don't care if you're on the first generation um, and you have a 16 year old that you think is gonna take over for you, start that planning, start that education right now. Um, don't wait until you're, you're over the 60 year mark um, like we did. And it's understandable, right? It's not out of any negligence. What, one day you're selling eggs and the next day you're this four generation family business um, with different concerns. And we're, you know, we're not, we're not business people per se. We just want to cook some chicken and, you know, be able to send our kids to college and retire at the end of the day. But there is so much more to it than that. And I know that you don't need me to tell you. So I'm third generation and the statistics on a, on a family business successfully passing from second generation to third, let alone beyond are abysmal. And I, I carry that responsibility with me. I mean, that's something that I, I think about a lot. And so I knew I started to get to a point maybe about three years ago, um, you know, where our business was doing really well. I mean, very, um, you know, very well known. Um, it was vibrant. It was, it was, it was, I don't know quite that I want to say it was thriving because you'll see in a minute here, we were very strong, but we had kind of plateaued. Um, and plateau is not necessarily a bad thing in some respects, um, but I knew enough to know that you can't sustain a plateau in business forever. And that we really need to talk, needed to start to think about what is the next evolution of Shavetta's going to look like? And we need to be proactive. And we need to start thinking about all the things you just mentioned because they are very real concerns because it is not, um, again, preaching to the choir, it is not that the third generation comes in and the third generation is just an idiot and doesn't know, you know how to keep selling the chickens. So sometimes, you know, sometimes that happens. Um, but in the education I have given myself, I can see how the way my grandparents set a business up has caused ripple effects that I am now dealing with, you know, 40, 40, 50, 60 years later. And again, it's all innocent and unintentional um, because I hate to sound glib, we just didn't know any better, you know, at the time. Um, and there is so much education that family businesses need that they don't get. They are not usually full of MBAs. You know, maybe when you get when you get a few generations down and you're priming somebody coming, you know, down the pipeline. We are not, you know, we're not accountants, we're not lawyers, we are not psychologists. You know, you kind of said that, you know, if if you need help, you talk to a therapist. And I think in our earlier conversations, I mentioned we work with a family business consultant, and that is really the scope of his work is to kind of delve into the psychology behind a family business. And people who are not in the family business might listen to that and think, what do you, why do you need something like that? But it is, I, I have made this recommendation. Everyone should have a family business consultant who specializes in psychology on speed dial or on retainer. Even if your family gets along great, which ours does, we had very good um, relationships, but family relationships and business relationships, when those overlap, there's some friction there. Um, and we are certainly not, like I said, we cook chicken. Um, we don't know a lot about psychology. <laughs> uh, 
I'm a big fan of Star Trek based on, you know, tell you when I, grew up. right. So it's, you know, I, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor, not an engineer. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a chicken farmer. I'm, I cook chicken. You got you know. it. Love you it. got it. Exactly. I, I have gift number two for you. Okay. Great. So this is, I didn't realize that we were going to be doing gift today, but so gift number two is you, you shared the statistics about family business in the third generation. And it's about 3% make it to the, to the third generation, according to the, to, you know, to the numbers. I want to take that and, and just allow you to take a little weight off your shoulders. I think it, it's a misnomer that we push that number so hard on people. And the reason why is because if you just look at non-family businesses, most of them don't make it for 60 years. Sure. And so what we, I think, I think there's two pieces here that we should be talking about that they're hand in glove. They're not separate. When we talk about that 3% statistic, we also need to be talking about the success of the business. You know, maybe it was sold. And for the health of the business, a, a friend of mine wrote a book um, called Every Family's Business called uh, Tom Dean's. Highly recommend it. He's got 12 questions that are in there that really help families to discuss, you know, the business and, and what, what to do with it. And one of the things he says is that we should always be prepared to sell. When we should be optimizing the business so that if an investor wanted to buy us, we're attractive to an investor. Um, and that may be what's best for the family. Remember what you, I think you said it earlier where it was talking about, you know, different people in the family have different passions. And, and I don't remember if that was, you know, you said it differently, but I think that's yeah. what you're alluding to. Yeah. And I think the business and the family, the family's number one concern is to make sure that everybody is doing something that they're love, that they love to do. And yeah. And so it, it may be time to sell the business at one point because we just don't have anybody in the family that that's their passion. But sure. man, good run. And it was awesome. And it's not anybody's fault if it doesn't, you know, if we don't go there, we should just be happy for what we've done. Sure. And, and that's, you know, um, that's a thing that I think probably a lot of families are afraid to look at, right? Because if they're the one that sells, um, even though they might be the one that made a ton of money off the sale of the business, it's almost look, looked at, you know, like quitting or they gave up or, you know, and, and you and I have talked a bit too. I, I may have mentioned to you before, like this is, I'm at home right now. This is my grandparents' house. This house has been in the family for a long time. So my grandparents, you know, when they started that little poultry farm down there, you know, they were here in this house. My father grew up here. So there's a lot of legacy. We have a very large family, as I have mentioned, there's a lot of legacy. Um, you know, and again, I, I feel the weight of that. That doesn't mean, you know, for me, I'm okay with that um, because this is where, where I want to be. Um, but it is very easy for me. You know, I have other, um, you know, friends and colleagues and family businesses. So it's very easy for me to just imagine a scenario where that is just not the case, where somebody feels pressured to carry that legacy forward and it's not really in their heart. And so what I had to do for myself and this is part of the journey our business has been going on the last few years. Some of this journey is, I'm not a food person. 
Um, you're never going to catch me ordering barbecue out in a restaurant unless I'm trying to experiment to see what somebody else is doing to give, you know, me business development ideas. Um, that's not what I'm passionate about. Um, I'm very passionate about my family for sure. Um, but I really started to discover that my passions were in business development, organizational development. And so I had to find a way, right? We have to walk this tight, tight rope between making sure this job is something that fulfills me professionally, um, but maintaining the identity of that business yeah. and making sure that it doesn't become about me because it's really not, it's about the overall success of the business, but you kind of have to marry those two together, right? Because I can't do my best work as a business leader if I can't stand getting out of bed and going to work every day. And, and not that I ever did that, but I certainly wanted to make sure that I didn't become that. And so I had to start to say for myself, not just what do I want this business to look like in five years and 10 years and 50 years, what do I want my role to be here? And I, I had to recognize that it was okay for me to have career goals and career aspirations and career needs separate um, from the business. And that, like I said, it is a tightrope to figure out how, how to walk that. But I mean, we don't want life to be boring. Right. <laughs> of course, of course. I love you know, it's you you've said two things that I want to I want to circle back and, and comment on. Sure. One is we have a big family and we talk about legacy and not everybody's involved in the business, but I guarantee that everybody has a feeling about the business. Yep. It's an emotional connection. And so one of the things that we have learned, um, I I'm, I'm blessed. I have mentors abound throughout the world who have helped coach me in, you know, working with family businesses. One of the ways that we have found um, is family philanthropy. And mm -hmm. so to so watch what happened, just like you're saying, you know, I may not be passionate about the business, but I'm passionate about what my grandparents built and the impact that they had in the community. So how do we continue doing that? Well, start the Shavetta Family Foundation and anybody, regardless of what your other passions are, can be part of that if you so choose. And so there's some really neat pieces that we've, you know, we've helped other families to put together the grandparent, grandchild philanthropy project family philanthropy. And that's what we have. The other piece that we've learned is that family philanthropy can actually done properly, in my opinion, um, with, you know, all the right reasons, all the right stuff. Family philanthropy can help to develop the entrepreneurs in the next generation. Great. You can start at five years old talking about who would you like to give to and why. And that's critical thinking. We can get ask those. We could ask a five-year-old or a six-year-old to say, "Please tell the family why you think that serving that, you know, that um, organization would be wonderful." And now you've got this five or six-year-old that drew a picture in crayon and is talking to twenty people to say why he thinks or she thinks this is important. And now you're building leadership and character and communication skills. So there's, I I believe that philanthropy can be the sandbox for for entrepreneurship and the and and if not if not for the family business it's still developing character so there's I love there, that there's one piece we we love doing that I, you know, when I, I love the letters that I get back or I just got some uh, crayoned 
you know, gift, uh, you know, donation things that were that the, the grandmother did That's with the grandkids. Great. Like, I can't believe how well this worked. Um, how wonderful. The other one, I want to connect you that you said it, you set me up perfectly for this. And I just want to say thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm on a roll right now where we we talk about we talked about physical training before. And we know that if you do physical training, if you ignore your core, it's not good. Okay. Well, every business entity, forget what you do, forget the chickens, forget the, the barbecue, forget all of that. Just the, the people within the business are the business, right? Mm. What is your core purpose? And can we and can we have a shared core purpose amongst everybody on the team? For you, that's what drives us to get out of bed. What are the shared core values that are alive and well in our business right now as we're sitting here today? How do we define them? And what, how can we, you know, what are the actions to live by? How do we connect our core purpose, our core values, our core competencies, and the big, hairy, audacious goal, you know, as yeah, Jim right. Yeah. And when you connect those pieces, all of a sudden, it's not what, you know, what you do is chicken barbecue. Why you do what you do is different. And that's, you, you could have four chicken barbecue places on four different corners. And the one that has a core purpose and core values that is connected will be the one, and, 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 they, and all of the people have the actions to live by around that. And we, we've, we've drilled those values. We've drilled that core purpose in. What happens is the people that don't like that go away. It's magnetically, yep. you know, move them away. Yes. Love that are attracted. That organization will outperform the other three on the other corners. So we are actually in the process of doing that now. And we are hitting the, a little bit of the pain point that you just said. Um, you know, people are kind of self-selecting that our organization is not the best fit for them anymore. And that's okay. And, you know, you know, we wish you well, um, Unfortunately, maybe the best time to, to, and we might've talked about this before, but the best time to do organizational development maybe wasn't during the global pandemic with a national labor shortage, or maybe that was the best time. Um, but I wanna, before we, cause we can talk about staffing shortage the whole rest of our hour together. But before we, we move away from this, I wanna talk a little bit about that brand differentiation, right? Because. We, um, and we started to work with an outside consultant because we really were, um, you know, it's a hard thing to do to, to be objective. And so the, the first time around, we kind of went through this um, exercise and we had done a little mini bit of this exercise on our own. We had sat down with maybe, um, you know, we have a staff now, it's shrunk a little, you know, maybe about 70 or 80. Um, we were approaching 100 <laughs> at our peak, um, but we sat down with maybe about 30 people and we asked them a lot of questions to kind of start to draw out, you know, what are those core values? And then when we moved to the consultants, there was a tradition or a legacy piece that kind of didn't make the transi transition from those conversations with our employees to the conversation with the consultants. And we talked about it a group as a group, and I, you know, I kind of called it out, and I said, you know, this piece um, is missing, and we need to kind of put it back. And so he challenged us, and he said, okay, tell me what tradition or, or legacy looks like to you. Go go home and think about it, and come back to me, um, because I really felt um, 
as we said, there are plenty of chicken barbecue companies around, um, and we are so fortunate um, to, to be as successful as we are. And I don't say that to take anything away. There are many other successful chicken barbecue operations. We're certainly not the only one, but there is something about Chevetta's. Um, there are a few things about Chevetta's, but the one I want to focus on is, um, so we went through these few weeks where we were supposed to be doing our homework and thinking. And in that time, um, someone that I know who had lost a parent um, recently, you know, I was expressing my condolences and we were catching up and we were chatting and we had gotten to the end of the conversation and, you know, we were going to go our separate ways. And he started to tell me about their picnics um, throughout the years that had involved Chevetta's, their family functions that had involved Chevetta's how much his father loved Shavetta's. And he started to cry um, because this was such, um, you know, it, it, they were such important memories to him. And I went back and I told this story to the family business or the, excuse me, the business consultants. And I said, I don't want this <laughs> to be the example of the story because obviously this family suffered a loss, but this, the emotion tied to this because Shavetta's is part of so many gatherings, of so many traditions, you know, that church that has the picnic every year, um, the family reunion every year, the, you know, the fire hall chicken barbecue every year, or maybe you're grilling on ho at home in your backyard and it's what you do with your neighbors every 4th of July weekend. There is an emotional component. <clears throat> um, and you, you talk about core purpose, you know, ours is kind of to gather people together around a table, to build community around a table. Food is so important, um, you know, across cultures, across millennia, food is so important in social gatherings. Um, and I don't know how it is where you are in Buffalo. We are die hard about a few things. Uh, the bills is one of them, you know, no matter what, um, you know, being a city of good neighbors, helping, you know, shoveling out your neighbor's driveway when you get that four feet of snow and our food. Holy cow, are we absolutely bonkers for our, our Buffalo brands in Western New York. Um, and, and that is what is so fulfilling to me and to us. And what we recognized was really just a key part of our identity is we are so fortunate to be a part of some of the most special moments in people's lives, their weddings, their baptisms, their first birthdays, their graduations. How lucky are we to be able to be associated um, with those times? And some people might think, get over yourselves. <laughs> it's just food. And it really is just food. But we wouldn't get stories like that that I got from my friends um, if it really was just about the food. Yeah, a thousand thousand percent I you know I share the story um you guys have a Whole Foods in Buffalo yes okay so Whole Foods started in Austin Texas and the year that and I don't know the whole story but I, I'm going to give the abbreviated what I know the year they started you know they were trying to bring wholesome good organic foods from the different farmers from the, you know to the community place instead of it being at different farm stands throughout the, the community it was just that was what they were really thinking you know how do we have an outlet for the farmer how do we have a place for the the consumer austin gets flooded their store is flooded they had leveraged everything they're like we're done we're cooked you know and 
their core purpose was so strong and they shared it with so many people why they were doing like if i'm not mistaken today you could go into a whole foods and ask them about their core purpose and core values and many of the employees will know what they're what they're saying but back then what what it inspired was volunteerism and people they went you know john mackey and his partner at the time was renee i forget her name but they go to the they go to the store and there's people with mops and buckets and cleaning supplies they were farmers they were customers they were you know not it just wasn't supposed to happen like that we're just a business we're just you know, doing that, that, that stuff. But it's, if you take a Patagonia, you take a Whole Foods, you take a Shavetta, and you guys, you know, you're all about creating family moments, creating those wonderful gathering, you know, things. You, what you do is the barbecue. That's how you do that. But why you exist has nothing to do with it. And here's where I'm going with this is you could start, you, know, you talked about what's the next generation, what's the, the, the what does Shavetta's, you know, do? I don't know, but I bet you it'll all be about family. I bet you it'll all be about gathering. And there'll be something that comes out of that because that's, you know, what you do. Our core purpose is to inspire change. That's why we have this podcast. We don't, you know, we don't make money on the podcast. Matter of fact, it costs money to do this stuff <laughs> more than anything else. We have not figured out the, you know, ooh, you know, we've gotten 30 clients out of it. Nope, it doesn't work that way. But I want to inspire change. I want people to hear things. And you shared some things today that will be helpful to somebody, whether it's tomorrow or five years from now. And uh, I thank you for, for that. And that's, you. you know, I, one of the things that we did just, we had a working on the business day on Friday with my team. Um, and what we talked about was our core purpose is, is to inspire change. We all agreed upon that but they couldn't connect what they were doing in their jobs to how that was working. And mm -hmm. so we spent a good two hours going through some examples of how, you know, your job was inspiring change and helping these families to do these wonderful things. And to a T, everybody was like, I'm so glad we spent the time doing that. That really helps me understand why I'm doing it. And I'll give you one other example real quick. Um, JFK was going through NASA when they were going through, you know, putting the man on the moon and he was asking people, so what do you do? And I'm a mathematician. I'm a physicist. I'm a, you know, I'm a project engineer and goes up to the janitor to say, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Right. That's, that's what we're. Exactly. What we're doing. The, the ownership no matter what your role is in the company, that everyone has ownership and is moving toward a common purpose. Yeah. It, it almost makes them um, like, like it's their destiny to be successful, right? How can that much momentum and that strong of a vision uh, fail? It's the last piece on that is I just had a friend of mine that I met through another organization. She changed jobs. And the post that she put up on LinkedIn um, said, I am so happy. I find, you know, I found my home. I have wanted to work for ABC company for years and I finally got in. And I've interviewed um, three times with them and was rejected three times. And this last time I interviewed, I asked them, you know, what I was missing. And they said, well, you really need, you know, this type of a certification for the kinds of roles that you're doing. 
So she went out and got the certification on her own, called back the person that said, no, the last time it said, I have my certification. Where would you like me now? That's and wonderful. And that's the connection. That, so what you're doing is perfect and right. And during the pandemic, I think it, it means more because, and, and, you know, I tell people, you know, put that into the top of your ad. Here's what our core purpose is. Here's what, you know, our core values are. Come join the team that thinks like this and then continue finding ways to do that. Man, you know, that's a really excellent point. And I think, like I said, we're, we're kind of coming down the home stretch of finalizing everything. And once we do have them finalized, I think they absolutely belong um, in our ads because we kind of talked about the self-selection before. Hopefully that would make the interview process <laughs> easier yes. because people who look at that and think, no, you know, I, that, that all sounds silly and cheesy. I'm not going to apply there. And you're going to attract the people um, who, who share those values, you know, who shares that sense of commitment we have to the community, to the people around us. Right. Um, no, that's a great Here's, suggestion. We're going to do that. One of the things that happened for me is when I started to do that, I realized I'm not hiring 10,000 people. I, I just need to find, you know, I mean, <laughs> one guy. Right. Buffalo is you have millions of people there in the workforce. You know, it's not, you know, it's hundreds of thousands in the workforce, right? There are definitely of those that are there, many that share the same core purpose and core values as Chavetta's does. And you will find them easily. When you get to the point, when you finish up, feel free gift number, here we go. Gift number three or four, or whatever it is. Um, we have um, a hiring process that we have utilized that helps to connect the core values and core purpose in the interview process. I'd be happy to share that with oh, you. Oh, great. I would love that. I know I'm setting a terrible example. Now, everyone who's on your show is going to say, what am I getting for my gifts? I never thought about it that way. We're going to have to, we'll, 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 uh, we'll continue looking for ways to help each person as we're going through this stuff. Appreciate that. That helps me actually. Um, what else? What else? Where do we go from here? You've got your, your daughter oldest is in the business yes. right now. What yes. is her, you know, and so tell us about her background and did you get, you know, what, what were the rules to come to work for the, for the business? Did you have, yeah, that? we, we haven't had any rules really. It's very, uh, very open interview process. You know, if you're, if you're family, um, so, um, Alex is 27. You can tell you're getting old when you have to start thinking about how old your kids are. Um, but kind of went through a, a, a similar journey, you know, start, started in high school, did something else for a little while, came back. And I felt that Alex didn't spend enough time away from the business doing other things. And there was a period of probably a year or two. Um, where we would really go back and forth and I would almost be aggressive, like trying to push the bird back out of the nest. Like you need to do something else. You need to do something else. I don't want you to discover when you're 30 or 40, that this wasn't for you. Um, and finally she said to me, mom, whenever we have this conversation, what you're telling me is you don't trust my judgment and you don't trust my judgment in myself. And you don't believe that I know where I want to be. And that was really eye-opening for me. And part of me was still like, 
okay, you still should have gone to work someplace else. Um, but we haven't had that conversation since then. And that was, that was a number of years ago because I thought, you know, maybe I'm trying to be the parent, you know, because I went through my own phase where I was like, is this what I should have done? You know, was there something else for me that would have been a better fit? And that was kind of when I was going through my, I guess, for lack of a better term, my um, mid-career crisis, you know, kind of thing. Um, so maybe I was doing some projecting there. Um, and so what we started to do next after that was kind of what we talked about before. Every employee, I don't care who they are, has um, their own unique skills, abilities, gifts that they can bring to your position. And it doesn't matter if they're washing dishes or cooking chicken, everyone has something to contribute that is special about them or strong about them. And so what Alex and I started to do together is um, to really start to work on what Alex's strengths were. And, you know, I call it the, the Kathleen Chavetta Venn diagram, right? Three circles. What are your strengths and abilities? What are your skills? What are you good at? What are your interests? What do you like to do? Because that's not necessarily a perfect circle there. And then the third circle is what do we need? You know, what does the company need out of you, out of somebody? And can we try to kind of see where those circles come together and create a position there for you? Because as I said earlier, I went through this journey, right? I had to make this or make sure that this was going to be fulfilling for me career-wise. And I certainly wanted to do the same thing for her. Why wouldn't I want to make sure she ended up in an area where she was strong? Why would I want to give her a job with things she was going to struggle because she didn't love them and she wasn't good at them and that's not what she wanted to do? If, if this child of mine is, has the potential to be the fourth generation and will be the person who's planning for the fifth or the sixth generation, why don't I want to set them up for success now? So that doesn't mean Alex doesn't have to sometimes do things <laughs> that Alex doesn't particularly care for. You know, it's a family business. We're a small company. Sometimes you got to be on the front line. Sometimes you have to be the boots on the ground. And, and none of us, you know, we, we kind of have the family motto. There's no such thing as not our job. It is all our job. It is all our responsibility. No one is ever going to care about it as much as we care because it's not their job to care. Um, you know, if, if they care as much as we care, that's a problem because we should <laughs> be caring up here, not, not here. Um, so yeah, we, we have kind of gone on this journey together of what do you like to do? What are you good at? And, and how can we marry those things to do what's going to be best for the company? So again, um, I'm still a parent. <laughs> um, so I still try to have those, those teachable moments. And I try to have teachable moments with my whole staff. Um, but I, especially with Alex, try to share my own experiences. Not that children necessarily learn from their parents' experiences, but also um, something that the family business consultant has helped me with is to really be a strong model for what I want to see in others. And that's what I try to do with her. Love it. I, I, I really enjoy our conversation because as you talk, things come up for me that I'm like, oh, I love this. So the so two things that, that came out of that one, I have noticed um, through the years of working with family businesses that every now and again, not always, but every now and again, there is a kid that just that the core purpose and the core values of the family are so ingrained they couldn't imagine themselves working someplace else. And 
Um, I, you know, I have uh, um, a, a, a client that's a cabbage geneticist, and he used to go around, um, a Cornell grad, um, and he used to go around with his grandfather, you know, uh, who would splice plants and, and create new varieties and do stuff. And then he went to school for it. You know, he started that when he was, a, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, following his grandfather around in the greenhouses and doing stuff. So he just couldn't, that was just him. It was just perfect. And so maybe yeah, your daughter falls into that line, number one. Um, there was something else that you said. It was, oh man, I lost it. Um, I write them down because otherwise I forget. I know, I, I should have. I, I think it was just the fact that um, what you're doing in terms of the your three circles and, and is just no different than the core purpose and the core values and your company and what, what you want to do, but you try to do that on the individual level as well, which I think is just fabulous. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. Every family's business, some of those conversations between the parent and child, you know, I think are really, really helpful or between generations are really helpful. I think grabbing those and I will, and I'll remember to send that over to you. I have a cheat sheet for those questions that I'll share with you, but I do think the book is worth, you know, grabbing, and going through it's on you know many many family business consultants have utilized that book it's a it's you know it's a story it's a parable two families doing it so it's an easy read but the but i'll, I'll pull the the questions out of there um one of the things that i loved is having your daughter or the next generation who's in that level do their own swot analysis and mm. you do a swot analysis and if you do them separately, individually each year, and then compare, because what, what's natural is as you get older, you'll want to take less risk. And as they're coming up, they're going to want to take more. So finding that happy medium to say, where can we, where can we go with this? And then the other piece, that was the other one, is I wrote a book, um, Your Family Legacy. And one of the things that I'm most proud of is this conversation I talk about what I call the parent transition. And the parent transition is, you know, when they're under the age of X, it's different for every kid, under the age of 13, you need to be the parent. You need to set the boundaries. You need to say no. You need to grab them when they're about to fall and you need to protect them. Somewhere between 13 and 30, I don't, again, different for every child. It's, we need to become that, that, that coach, that mentor. We need to not do for them. We need to make that transition. Not every parent is good at making that transition. But then there becomes a time when they don't even need us. And we may still coach and mentor, but what we really need to remember is that once they're over the age of 21 and they've you know come to the age of adulthood, especially when it comes to the family business, if it was anybody else, we'd treat them like a colleague. Right. And so that transition, that one right there has been really helpful for me. Um, I'd love to tell you that I was able to make all of those things work for myself and our family. It's been difficult. Um, it's harder in your own family, I think, than helping other people. But if, um, I, I, that one piece and just realizing that Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook before he was out of college. 
And right. kids today, it doesn't mean that our kids are going to be Mark Zuckerberg, but they are grown up human beings and they are fully capable of being colleagues of ours as well. Right. And, and that's, you know, you're touching on something that's, that's a challenge, right? It, it, that's a challenge. And I found this in my own personal journey and it's only happened in the last couple of years. Um, it was transformative for me to start thinking of my father as my boss and not my dad. Because mm. what I realized looking back is, uh, I won't say how old I was, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm well into adulthood. Um, even though I was a well into adulthood adult, I was acting like a spoiled brat at times with my dad because I wanted my way. Why didn't he want to listen? His opinion was dumb. You know, he doesn't have any confidence in me. And I, I was acting childish. Um, and some of that is, you know, his half of that dynamic too. It is hard to start to look at our, you know, our relatives as colleagues, but flipping the switch in my head and having that humility and, and thinking, you know, stop talking to him that way or stop being frustrated with him. He is your boss and you would never treat a boss in another organization. And not to say that I was treating my father poorly at all. We have an excellent relationship, but I would get a little pouty. Right. when I couldn't have my way right. and I didn't really understand. And I just had to accept, uh, this is gonna sound a little, a little counterintuitive. I just had to accept that sometimes because he said so, <laughs> even though I'm saying not to look at him as a dad, sometimes because he said so um, is, is the end of it. And I had to learn too, to carry forward. If he said no, it was no to my direct reports. Um, you know, to things like that, that we're not doing it and not to throw him under the bus and say, well, I want to do it, but dad won't let me guys. Mm. I, I talked to dad about it. Talk to Peter one is what we call him. I talked to Peter one. Uh, he wants to do this. This is what we're going to do. We've talked a lot about disagree and commit in my organization in the, in the last year. Um, and then that's the way it is. And, and what helped me make that switch with my father was Bob Pirelli, the family business consultant, said to me, think about your relationships both ways. Think right. about your relationship with your own child and how you want to act. And how do you think it makes Alex feel if you do A, B, and C? And now look backwards, you know, um, to, to your relationship with your father. And looking at that relationship there with dad and this relationship here with Alex really just helped me kind of um, grow up in a way, you know, not that I was mature or childish or anything like that. Um, but I realized that I had to start looking at people less as family and had, had this have to be more, more about business. Um, because who in the world wants to really work with their family all the time? <laughs> there, and uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I am so fortunate. Um, Again, we have strong family, you know, foundational relationships. I love my dad. I'm very much a daddy's girl. Um, Alex and I are, are very close. And so that benefits us and that makes the business stronger. But yes, sometimes there are challenges to having those kinds of relationships. It's really hard to, uh, you know, like counsel or, or, or write up if you ever had to, you know, somebody that you're going to see at dinner on Sunday. Right. Um, but no, I, I consider myself to be very, very fortunate to have been born, born into this 
I have certainly worked for it, but I was born into this wonderful family and this wonderful opportunity. Um, even though I've said I carry the weight of carrying this legacy forward that my father built, that my uncles have built, um, you know, that many people who came before me have built. Um, man, who would want to do anything else? I feel so lucky to have such an opportunity. I love it. I love it. So if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, uh, what is the web address um, for Chevetta's? Sure, just Chevetta's.com. And even if you put it into Google, yeah, I was going to say, even if you put it into Google and spell it wrong, I promise you, you're going to find it. C-H-I-A-V-E-T-T-A-S.com. Perfect. Uh, Kathleen, this has been wonderful. I have a funny feeling that um, somewhere in the next 24 months or three years, we're going to, we need to, yeah, I'd have you on next week, but you know, that's not uh, the way that, <laughs> that it works, but I would love to have you on again. I would love to. Your journey um, and keep doing this. Um, you know, who else was in the chicken business that um, I don't know if you've ever get, had a chance to listen, but go and check out Mitzi Purdue. Um, oh, of course, Purdue. That would be a, that would be a fun one for you to hear some of her stories, I think. Great. Um, I really, really, truly appreciate everything that you've shared today. Thank you, everyone, for spending time with Kathleen and I. My name is Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And we would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that uh, when the next episodes come on, you don't miss one. Have a great day, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting-edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that, and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.